Hey, Jake. I need two non-white shirts. Actually, yeah, two non-white shirts. It's sometime before tomorrow. It's always important to wear layers in hell. Yeah, that's not what it is. The white shirt, uh, so the white shirt for donut making is just not conducive. It's just mm. a lot of grease. And, uh, yeah. I have ruined this poor Snorlax t-shirt I have. <laughs> cool. Okay, hold on. We're going to do this real quick. Give me one second. Yep, you're good. Thank you. All right. All right. Now I'm ready, Al. I'm ready for anything. <laughs> ready for anything. Okay. I'm ready for anything. Cool. Um, well, yeah, we'll jump in. Um, for the intro, I'll plug the NBA episode uh, for sure. Um, then in the middle, if I can remember to do so, because I'm bad at that sometimes, um, I'll plug a couple of our other shows. Uh, but yeah, we'll get into it. You know, the NBA thing, <laughs> so, you know, it's three hours long. Yes, and, I'm I'm about halfway through it. Well, <laughs> what's funny is, of course, like, and I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I did. I don't know if it's just something I can talk about more than anything. Obviously, Chase can talk about more than anything. But literally, like, I had, I, I had like a, like a parsed out concept of like, this is how we're going to do two hours, okay? Because we can't do another three-hour podcast. And we saw how that went. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And there it was. Me and opinions. It's, it's a dangerous thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, gosh, when we recorded it last year, because it was all three of us, it was like, <laughs> we spent like four or five hours on that. Yeah, it was, it was three... 90 plus minute podcast last year <laughs> yeah so so we did pare down but still oh you know it's good content it's good content that's all that matters there you go okay well anytime you're ready my man whatever you want to do cool sounds good <clears throat> and i'm sorry i'm like oh no it's okay dude it's all good Well, hello, spooky ghouls and goblins out there, and welcome to another episode of Phantom Talk Special Edition Horror Fest 2022. Um, we're back at it. This is our third episode of five that we're doing this year. Um, so hope you all are strapped in, ready for some spooky boys. Um, speaking of spooky boys, um, I am Al of the Phantom Correspondence, and with me, as always, for Horror Fest is um, the spookiest boy himself, um, is Josh Hardesty, also the wise sage. How are you doing, buddy? I would like to add also the busiest man in fandom, because I'm going to have, by the end of this, by the end of this week, probably close to seven hours worth of podcast on this week, just alone. So so let's just add that to one of my titles as well. 
you know, <laughs> spooky boy, wise sage, busiest man in fandom. Yeah, there you go. And as a perfect, as a perfect seamless and effortless way to um, segue into um, our self plugs, um, everybody, we do have um, actually a bunch of of brand new content on um, our podcast page. Um, Can be found Spotify and Apple Podcasts, um, anywhere else you get your podcasts, I believe. I believe we're all on all the mainstream ones. But um, um, at the, the time of recording this on this day, um, there was released a special NBA uh, preseason presentation episode uh, by none other than my compadre Josh and our very special friend, um, Chase Carrico, uh, constant uh, fandom correspondent consultant on all things sports and Pokemon. Um, that is out. They're talking about kind of a preview of um, the new NBA season um, this year. Um, y'all, there are... There's a whole lot of takes on that episode, some hot, some cold, and some in between. Um, so um, if you like sports at all, uh, that one's really enjoyable to watch uh, or listen to, rather. Um, eventually, we'll get uh, to a point where we can stream our podcast as we do it, and that'll be fun. But um, but that is out right now, so be sure to check that out. Um, and later on in this episode, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other projects we got going on because um, the content don't stop, baby. Uh, we're doing it. Trying to keep it rolling. <laughs> We're keeping it rolling, baby. Um, now, tonight, however, um, we are talking about um, a horror film that's honestly one of my f- favorites. Uh, I really, really love this one. Um, I refer to it often as um, the best Silent Hill a- adaptation that's ever been made. Um, because <laughs> we're talking tonight about the 2014 movie As Above, So Below. Um, now, this was my uh, probably third or fourth or possibly fifth time watching As Above, So Below. Um, Josh, I believe this was your first time. Is that correct? It's my first time watching it, yeah. First time you've you've done um, you've done broke the As Above, So Below seal. Yeah. Um, as they go. do in this film. Um, but... Um, this is a really interesting one, y'all. This um, this scratches a lot of horror itches uh, that I have. Um, it's a um, it's shot in the style of like a found footage film. So like, uh, think like uh, Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity and Overfield, that kind of thing. Um, I love found footage stuff. I wish there were more good found footage films out there because a lot of them are kind of bad. Um, I really love that approach to cinematography, especially in horror films. So it scratches that for me. Um, it scratches uh, the itch because it plays a lot on like the physical environment and the setting of the movie, which I think is really cool. It's really underutilized tool uh, for horror films as well. Um, and there's a lot of psychological slash spiritual slash pseudo religious stuff happening in this movie as well which um really kind of fits the bill for us that's kind of the whole origin of of why we do horror fest because we thought um um hey you're a pastor i'm a psychologist or like kind of a psychologist at this point um let's talk about those things um so um yeah josh just to open this thing up um just kind of cursory Thoughts about your experience? Uh, this is your first time watching As Above, So Below. I, th- I think I kind of hyped it up um, as one I really enjoy. 
Um, overall, how did you feel about this one? Is it one that kind of hit the mark or were you kind of unimpressed? What's going on in your brain space? I, I really, really, really liked it. Uh, I, I, I can already tell I don't love it as much as you do, um, but I really <laughs> liked it. Um, Hard to do. The, uh, there was a couple, I mean, there's, you know, there's, you know, um, there was a part that just flashed across my brain, you know, at one point where I was like, of course, hell would be under Paris, France. That just makes perfect sense. <laughs> you know, like you know, the, the most, most overrated city in the world, of course, hell would be under that one. But the, uh, but the, the, the really interesting fun part of this is that I went into it completely blind out. I had, I didn't really have any, I remember seeing, I remember seeing the trailer not the, or maybe just commercial, but I remember seeing the flaming car. Okay. And I remember like the, like, you know, like the, that was kind of a, uh, and all the marketing for this was the flaming car underground. Like how did that get there? That kind of thing. Very I remember seeing that and, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, being kind of intrigued by it, but it was something that's never, I just, it just wasn't in my, you know, realm, so to speak. So I went into it completely blind, which means that, you know, as you pointed out, you know, like, you know, pastor psychologist kind of dynamic here. I was sitting there going at, at a certain point, I'm just like, huh, that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot like Inferno. Oh, that, that's, that's a lot like Inferno. Well, that's really like, Inf okay, that, there's a, oh, that is word for word what happens in Dante's Inferno. And so like, cause so, you know, that, that was kind of fun. Um, to see, like, because one of the things I do like, I like interpretations of of text, but they don't tell you their blatant interpretation of a text. So, like, the closest you get is like, you know, when uh, when he's reading the uh, he's reading the the uh, the phrase that's on the gateway, so to speak, and it says, you know, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Um, you know, and like, that's <laughs> my favorite. That's my favorite part because literally he's the only person. Him and him and uh, him and the the main girl are the only people that know what what that means. And I'm like, they they don't have that saying anywhere else, you know, in the world. Like, because there's like six other people in the group at that time. They're like, what does that mean? You know, and I'm just like, <laughs> but like that that was the only part where it was kind of awkward where they were trying to explain what they were doing. But like at that point I was like, okay, now I see this is literally an allegory for Dante's Inferno. And I thought it was done. I thought it was done pretty well. Um, I, all the issues I'm going to warn you right now, all the issues I have this movie, don't take them offensively because they're all the same issues I have of Dante's Inferno. So they're basically the exact same, basically <laughs> the exact same issues. So like you know, because all the morals this, all the morals of this movie, and and the, um, the concept of this movie, as far as like from a religious and spiritual uh, standpoint, are the concepts of Dante's Inferno, mm -hmm. um, which is you know the only way Dante can escape hell is for atoning for his sins, and you know. And there's therein lies some some theological problems for me, and some you know just so, so I'm just gonna I'm just letting you right know right now I will not have any issues with this movie from a uh, from a uh, cinematic standpoint. Uh, some issues from an acting standpoint. Um, I think uh, I think you know uh, Pap is one of the most more ridiculous characters I've I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> uh, he's just kind of he's just kind of different. Um, 
but uh, but uh, but no no issues from a cinematic standpoint, but definitely some from a thematic standpoint. And I, and of course, we'll get into that later on. So, but yeah, no, I, I liked it. Oh, and to, really quick to your point, um, I would actually say, other than Cloverfield, this might be the best use of the. Um, you know, handheld camera, found footage concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think part of that is because I don't really know how else you would do this, this kind of movie where claustrophobia is so important to the movie. I don't know. I, I don't know if a, if a steady cam approach would have been, would have been near as effective. In fact, I know it wouldn't have been. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think, uh, like I said, Ern, uh, the only other one I could think of was Cloverfield. As far as a, you know, as as far as a found footage uh, kind of movie that really really stands up uh, to to what this movie did. There's the, this movie. This movie's got like a 27 on Rotten Tomatoes, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know what all these. I mean, I, literally, it was every reviewer just in a bad mood, you know, for that for you know this week, you know, when this in 2014 when this came out because there's some really fantastic. I mean. You know, like story, we can argue story wise and stuff like that, some issues, but there's some really fantastic scenes in this movie um, that really stand out um, and and just like really kind of stick with you. Um, so, so no, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where we go with this one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what you got for me. All right. All right. Um, yeah, man. So, um, yeah, we'll get right into it. Um, I do like that uh, this episode now has the context. To where, um, just to reiterate for anybody who didn't catch it, if Josh at any point disagrees with me, he's not really disagreeing with me. He's disagreeing with like the ghost of Dante Alighieri. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, <laughs> so it's fine. I um, I wash my hands of any conflict in this episode. It's great. Um, we should watch adaptations of of old ass poetry more often. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, it's good stuff. But um. Yeah, so we'll get right into it. So um, I always love um, whenever I'm watching a horror film, especially if, if like, I'm re-watching a horror film, um, I always love to kind of think um, a little bit critically about, like, what is the mechanism um, for trying to induce fear in a film. Um, so I know we talked a lot more about it in years past. We haven't talked as much about it this year just because like we've, uh, covered slashers up to this point. And like, I love slashers, but like, it's, it's kind of self-explanatory in the majority of them, but, um, there's a lot to kind of chew on, um, as far as like what's being used to invoke fear. Um, and as above, so below, because, uh, for one, we both have already touched upon it. There's like the um, environment uh, based fear, uh, specifically um, the kind of claustrophobia um, that's kind of induced in a lot of these scenes. Um, the first scene that can really be considered like a horror scene uh, that takes place in the movie, um, at least in my opinion, is when they're first going into the catacombs. Um, and, and Pap, um, who is very strange, but hey, he's French, uh, where Pap kind of, um, um, is directing them through this, like, very, um, small kind of crawl space, uh, within the walls of one of the catacombs. They have to crawl over bones. It's absolutely horrific. Um, as somebody who wants to visit the catacombs eventually one day, because I think it's a really interesting piece of history, 
Um, as soon as somebody said, hey, Al, just crawl over these human bones into this small crawl space, um, I would have been out of there, like, <laughs> with no hesitation. Um, and so they're going through, and poor Henji, who, like, like, this <laughs> this movie just decides, like, it, it looks over the a relatively small cast, and it's just like, it's going to be this guy. It's going to be this guy we break first. Um, because Benji uh, gets completely screwed over way before anybody else does. And uh, he goes through the crawl space, and he kind of gets stuck, and he gets, like, parts of his body kind of wedged in spaces, and there's bones all around him, and there's possibly rats kind of hiding at him, and horrific like um the most terrifying group of of european <laughs> women's hanging songs since um the snyder cut of the justice league mm-hmm. is behind him um just <laughs> all kinds of things are going on um josh if you don't mind uh, kind of talk about what you thought about how uh, as far as like how the environment is used how the um um the small surface area space of the scenes is kind of used to kind of invoke that fear and kind of invoke that kind of um, discomfort um, throughout this movie. Right. So yeah, that's so the scene you're, you're talking about, of course, you know, you got poor, the guy, I mean, you're right. I feel bad for Benji um, because Benji, mm-hmm. the whole, uh, the whole point of this movie and this, this, the, I actually, I will say this, is a, this is a slight flaw in the storytelling of this movie. The point of this movie is these people, end up in hell because there are sins they refuse to acknowledge. Um, the only sin that we don't know uh, that is not really told to us is Susie's sin and Benji's sin. Um, and they have to have them or else the movie, in my opinion, kind of has a flawed premise here sure. um, because they're all, you know, um, it seems like there's a, there's a connection between Susie and Latop, uh, which is why it seems like Latop's the one to kill Susie. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's probably something that happened there. And then Benji's the one that's haunted by the creepy woman <laughs> that, that is leading the singing and, uh, is in the club. Um, so there's probably something there. So there, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's meant to be, um, ambiguous or whatever, mm-hmm. but the, you're right. The, the scene, like when they're, when they're going, when they're going into that corridor, you know, like there's this, like, there's this kind of slight, you know, a topic of like, you know, like they're, they're explaining where these corridors are. And then Pap is just like, oh, yeah, there's always these weird people here just singing, you know. And you're just <laughs> like, and like, what the best part about it is like, like no one really, like, they're, they're just like, yeah, that is weird. No one really questions it. But it's just like, yeah, there's always these like strange people here. Um, which, by the way, once again, for, for Dante fans out there, those are the outcasts, right? I mean, those mm-hmm. are the, those are the outcasts in the vestibule that, that aren't necessarily in hell. Um, but are probably going to hell. Um, so that's that's the uh, that, that's that's how, what they seem to mean to me because the threshold to hell, of course, is the the <laughs> the group of bones you have to crawl through. And of course, you got Benji, who's very early on, like he's like, this is just not a thing I'm willing to do. Um, and you know, he's the one that gets stuck there. And that you know, it's funny. Jake talked about that scene when when we were coming when we were coming home. Or I think you talked about to you, a little bit to you. You know that scene is just jarring because they don't. And, and th- this is the strength of a found footage, you know, kind of movie. 
they don't move off of him. It you stay with him pretty much the entire time until they get through that, which of course is jarring as well because they end up falling through and all that stuff. Um, but you have this, like this this just scene where he's just having a panic attack, um, you know, um, and you know as he's having a panic attack. The women are just, I guess, just enthralled with this panic attack because they start singing even louder. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's weird because, and it's like it's 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 this like giant, you know, warning of what this movie's going to be because, you know, they they they've taken this very large man and stuck him in a very small, uh, very small um, uh, setting here because like he's just. He's just trapped, and I'm, and I'm looking at like, I don't know how he's going to get out of that. I think he's he's just he's going to have been the catacombs forever. Um, and so a lot of the a lot of the strength of this movie is when they when they do that because there's never there's never a part in this movie, ironically, until you get to the ninth level of hell. There's never a part in this movie where you're like, there's enough room to move around. You know, like every corridor is small and like has. You know, just for whatever reason, like a random trench of water in it or something, you know, and just like everything. There's just so many obstructions to what they're trying to do. Um, and so it just becomes this like really the movie has this really arduous journey attack uh, to it where by the end of the by, by the time you end up actually in the ninth circle of hell, ironically, you're kind of. Uh, relieved because there's actually like room and space, you know, even yeah, here Satan's there, but like there's room and space to actually move around. Um, and so like, it, that wasn't, that's an interesting trick they pull because even like, even in the, in the best part. So like the, when they find, when they, when they find the philosopher's stone, like, uh, you know, in the, in the treasure room or whatever, even that room, which is like, this is like your, this is your kind of your penultimate moment. Like this is the moment where like, you figure out like, okay, she's not crazy. Like there's something to this. Right. Even in that moment, how oh, that room is like a six by six. <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> it's tiny. And so um, there's a really, like, I, I really, you know, uh, th this is one of those movies where I'd like to know a little more about the behind the scenes on it. If, if cause it, it, it's very intent on, you know, making sure that, that you feel as cramped as they do. There's no, there's no room for comfort at any point in this movie. Um, and, uh, which, which, you know, <laughs> makes it even, which turns even in more into the, you know, the stereotype of like, you know, people screaming at the, at the screen, you know, during movies, it's like, no, don't go down that hole. That's a horrible idea. I don't know why you're doing. No, don't, don't. That's an even smaller hole. Don't go down that one either. You know, cause like you, you just sit there and you're just like, you know, like that, you know, Oh, that one's 200 meters down. Don't go down that one. That's a bad idea, you know. Um, just you know, over and over and over again, you have those those instances, and uh, you know, and I mean claustrophobia. I mean, it is the yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's the it, it's it's the prevailing. You know, e e even if you don't have that as a fear, and I really don't. Um, like it, it, it's one of those things where like I was very uncomfortable at certain moments. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got um, uh, Ben Feldman, who plays George, who <laughs> who has claustrophobia. So even if you don't feel claustrophobic, you've got a character who's actively filling out all those things for you, yeah. um, which was which is a which is a smart choice as well. I think, uh, even though I still think 
that poor guy just got put through the ringer for for absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but yeah, but but not the the uh, the way this thing is shot. It, it it is one of the one of the best uh, examples of of a of a fear. You talk about inducing fear. It's one of the best examples of inducing fear through just atmosphere. And you know you're just you're constantly uncomfortable. You're constantly claustrophobic. You know, um, and you know the the weird stuff that's happening in it. You know, the piano, the phone call, the car, all that stuff's really cool and everything. But it, it's never as scary as just the fact of like, we're just cramped in here and I don't know if we're ever going to get out. Um, and that's the prevailing, you know, theory of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so well done because it, it focuses on such an inherent fear that like so many people have, even if like you don't consider yourself to be like a very claustrophobic individual. Like, I don't really consider myself to be, like, a very claustrophobic individual. But, like, there is something, like, there is something, like, very, like, evolutionarily, like, set in our minds. There's, like, a part of, like, our lizard brains that, like, um, is, is, like, inherently trained to, to adversely... Um, react to not having enough space to maneuver yourself within. Um, and like, and I think that's one reason why I was so impressed with um, this film, especially the first time I watched it, um, because I watched it and it touched on so many things that like would very much bother me um, as an individual. Like um, we've already talked about like the claustrophobia of trying to like crawl through small spaces um, the idea that these people are just like, <laughs> there's a point where they, um, um, they saw the ancient Egypt, like, riddle thing, and it opens up a passageway. And, like, they shove open the passageway, and, like, those stone, like, rolls over and stuff and reveals it. And, like, I, <laughs> upon rewatching it this time, I was just like, there's no chance in hell like pun emphatically intended um there's no chance in hell i could ever be able to get through that hole like isn't that the one where like they gotta swim through once they get under it there is one of those yeah and that's the other one i was about to bring up as well is that like i'm not like extremely claustrophobic um but um i don't really enjoy going in the water very much uh, there is a word for that as well. It's like elastophobia or something like that. Um, I don't like t- to be submerged in the water very much. So when that part comes in and they go into the treasure room by swimming underneath the small entry under the wall opening, um, when she does that, um, that's when I was just like, I would, I would just have to die there. I would just, like, there's no way I would do that. <laughs> like, you could tell me all of the money in the world is on the other side of that wall, and there's no way I would go underwater and swim through that. Like, um, and so, like, it, it's so good at, like, at, like, poking at very human, very um, universally experienced fears, uh, which is done um, so very well throughout the film. 
Um, and so like even even at the end where like they're climbing down and up out of the catacombs at that point and just like the perspective of it is weird and it causes like it almost causes uh, within the audience like this weird sense of vertigo as well because like your mind is trying to say just like oh that's not how the world is supposed to work and so like your body is going to be also very uncomfortable with that um so just so much of the film it just uses the physical space of the scene um about as well as any horror film i've ever watched um it's just so impressive um but yeah um now um at uh, the beginning of this uh towards the intro um i referred to as above so below as the best um silent hill adaptation i've ever seen um and that is both a couple of shots at the silent hill uh film adaptations uh because the first one is fine and the second one's horrible but it's also like very genuine as well that was the first like kind of comparison vibe i got when i watched as above so below the first time because it it very much focuses on a very silent hill-esque idea where you are in a hellish horrific place and what you see and what you experience and the fear that's inspired in that place um, is very much the product of something about yourself, right? It's very much um, this and also Silent Hill is very much built on the idea that like the scariest things we can experience are things that are very much a part of who we are. Um, so Josh, I know you said at the start that this was kind of an area that you weren't um, entirely sure about. So we'll go ahead and get into that. But um, first, Josh, please tell me what about that aspect you enjoyed, uh, um, if you did, and what parts about it kind of rubbed you the wrong way? Because I think this will be a really interesting thing we can hash out here. You, you mean the aspect of like it being literally hell? Right. Okay. Like it being hell and that. Yeah. And their their experience kind of being colored by why they would be there. Yeah. So so the. Like I said, the the way they do it, um, I'd have to go back and watch. If you're if you're, if you're familiar with Inferno, Inferno is where you get the nine circles of hell concept. And basically, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because it's. I mean, I don't know anybody that would listen to a podcast about this, but like, but <laughs> basically, it is basically there's a sin for every circle of hell, and the sins get worse. Um, so, like, I think lust is too. Uh, well, yeah, lust is definitely too, and because there's actually the the vortex and the tunnel where like they can't hear anything, and then like there's just like that giant scream. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's literally taken right from the the lust part portion of Dante's Inferno, um, because they he goes into and I, and I don't know what kind of allegory it is like. You know, if you just have sexual cravings, you lose hearing. I don't know. I, I don't know what Dante's doing there, but like, but that is a that's taken directly from it. So I, I do wonder if, like, if I went back and watched it, if I could find every single, uh, every single center of hell because they do go down and like they tell you, you know, they they kind of point, uh, they kind of want you to do that because they kind of point to moments where like, okay, we're going into a different, we're going to a different area now. Um, so I really, I, I like that. I'm going to tell you right now, all my issues with this movie, 
every single one of my issues with this movie, okay, is in the concept of redemption that is presented in this movie. Because, which is, a, which is an issue I have with, with Dante's Inferno. So Dante's Inferno's concept of redemption is essentially that you must atone for your own sin before you can leave hell, which is what happens in this movie. The problem of that with Christianity, just as a, just from a Christian f- philosophy standpoint, and I won't spend too much time on this because I don't know why anybody listens to that podcast either, but <laughs> the problem of that from a Christian standpoint is that in Christianity, Christ atones for your sins. The literal point of it is you cannot atone for your sins. That's why you need a Christ figure. Um, that's the problem of this movie. And like, and the movie kind of, the so like, here here here's a portion, okay? When they're getting ready to when they're when they're at the when they're at the moment we're like we're we're gonna get out of hell, okay? Here's the sins that we hear, okay, that they have to atone for. Zed says, I have a son that I've never even seen. I don't even acknowledge him. Okay. That one tracks. Okay, that is a horrible thing. That tracks. Georgia, is it Georgia, is that her name? Um why Scarlet. I, Scarlet. Why don't I want to say, I guess maybe because Scarlet lived in Georgia, I guess. I don't know. Anyway. Well, and, uh, and, um, um, the guy's name is George. So okay. That's, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Scarlet <laughs> didn't answer the phone one time when her father called, and that was when he hung himself. Okay. That one doesn't really track for me, but there's neglect there. You know, okay, fine. You know. Georgia's sin is, I was a kid, my brother got trapped, I said I'd go find help, I got lost, and he died waiting for me. Which, I don't know how that's a sin at all. And so, like, so there's your, so right off the bat, to me, like, you've got these, like, you have this this moment where, you know, this, this, is, the, this is the atoning moment, and in my opinion, what George has to atone for is a is is a is an accident, you know? Like what what when when I sent you yesterday when I watched it, I was like, this is the most harsh concept of redemption I've ever seen since Coco. You know, I meant that. Like this this is that's harsh. You have to go through hell because of something you did when you were eight years old and your brother died, and like that's horrible enough as it is. And I do and I, and I understand like there's going like if if I said that to the writers of this movie, they'd be like, well, you know, it's a metaphor for not dealing with your psychological trauma and that kind of thing, which I would counter homeboy. You've put these guys into literal hell, you know, to deal with their psychological trauma. You've, you've, tra- you've traumatized them even more to deal with their trauma at this point. And so like that, that is my major issue with the concept of hell in this movie, because you've got a guy who's going through this atoning for his sin. And in my opinion, that's not a sin. And like it to, to to tell somebody it is is like that's almost cruel. And then the other issue I have with it is so like I expected, Al, you tell me if you think I'm wrong here. I expected the sin that Scarlet would have to atone for would be her otherworldly obsession with this thing that literally is getting people killed. You like I mean to me that would be like you know like that's the thing I I feel like I'd have to atone for. And here's the thing: if she's not atoning for it in hell, she's definitely going to atone for it. Now that she's out of there, because what is she? What is she going? What, what is she going to tell Benji's family? Like, what is she going to say? Well, we were in the seventh circle of hell, and he fell off a rope, and we just left him there. <laughs> you know, like, like I mean, 
there's like serious like there's serious consequences to all of her actions because all this entire movie is is what she does. And so I really thought, in keeping with the Dante Inferno concept, that you know, like she'd have to rectify with this idea of like, you know, she wanted to, you know, live out, you know, she wanted to solve this for her family and for her for her father and you know, and like prove that they weren't so crazy. But like her single minded obsession with it, you know, is dragging like I mean, Al, can you think like honestly, all right? If 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 I said to you, okay, or, or or if you said to me, if you said to me, listen, I have something horrible happened to me in 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 my past, and so I really just can't. I can't do caves. I can't do tunnels. I can't do it, you know. And I was like, well, well, just just you know, just just come just come to just come to see me off. And you were like, okay, I'll do it. And then I for and then like I forced you into that situation, like. Anyone that saw that from the outside looking in would be like, "You are a horrible, horrible human being," right? right? Like, I mean, it—I I don't think I'm wrong there. No, you know, and yet, what her atonement thing is is like, she has to atone for the fact that, you know, she didn't answer a phone call. Which, I mean, like, you know, like that's rough. I don't—I'm not saying that's—that's that's, you know, there's 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 some guilt there, but like, like. Yeah. You know, there's four bodies that you've left behind at this point. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's I don't know. Um, so, you know, that's that's my major issues with with this movie is that, you know, the ending of it, you know, this concept of atoning for sin, you know, it's very, very much in this this idea of they're they're almost equating trauma and sin in the same like in the same category. And I really, really, really am uncomfortable with that idea because that is a thing that is very prevalent in a lot of in a lot of the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a little bit about that with, with exorcism, you know, uh, or excuse me, with the exorcist. <laughs> we talked a little bit about the exorcist um, and how that that equation kind of happens, and you kind of see it here just a little bit as well. Now, as far as like their the the stuff they do with like the concept of just like being in hell in general, really interesting stuff, really interesting visuals. Um, you know the when you finally reach the the ninth circle, you know, and you've got all those hooded figures, you know, um, you know, and like it, that that was really that was really intriguing. Um, I don't the the thing that like <laughs> it's gonna sound weird, but the thing they're missing. Um, really is like the the tormented nature of the people in hell because that's what Dante's entire poem is about. You know, it's like this weird, brutal fantasy about like you know what the bad people are going through in hell. Um, you only really get that with Pap. You know, which I have said is the worst character in the film, but like that doesn't mean I really want him swallowed up by the earth. You know. Um, but, but once again, also literally from direct, that's taken directly from, yeah. uh, Dante's Inferno, which tells you you're in, in Dante's ninth circle is treachery and, or, or betrayal. And like, that is, that's what that is. You know, like, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that is what he, what he goes through, uh, with, right with the feet sticking out and everything, uh, you know, is a. It's directly from Dante, you know, um, 
so like you know that that was a pretty that was a pretty effective scene all the way around yeah. um because what i really like about that scene um so like out like I, I think i'm right on this the guy in the car that's the guy who tells scarlet to look for pap in the in the alley right y- yes sir absolutely it is so i almost, almost went back almost went back and watched it but like it so like so once again, you've got like, you know, there's, I don't know. There, there's a lot going on in this movie. That's just interesting to, to put together because like, you know, it, it, it's almost like there was now, now you're dealing with concepts of like, you know, they were predestined to go through all this stuff because mm-hmm. like you've got otherworldly effects happening to get them into, into hell. Um, but like you know, for you, you learn nothing about that situation when Pap's looking at that car, and yet you know everything you need to know about that situation. Yeah. Uh, that's a very hard line to pull off, um, and I thought they did that brilliantly. Um, but, I, but, but back to the to the to my original point, though, you know, like this is like a really. This is a really brutal version of like of hell and atonement that doesn't really track with the biblical narrative from a Jewish or Christian standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, the atmosphere like from a from Dante's standpoint is really cool and everything, but like it, it's one of those movies that at the end of it, I just I, I was I, I left the movie feeling the exact same way after I read Dante's poem, which is just like that was a thing, you know, <laughs> you know like, yeah, like that was, you know, like I, I don't, you know, this is, this is not really a very hopeful situation. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question or not. I feel like I went in a lot of different places, but oh, it's okay. It's okay. No, um, no, I think you hit on a lot of really good stuff. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'm might be overstating it a little bit, but I think this is like, almost a perfect kind of film to use to kind of like show our intention with the show as I said before, where we're, uh, we kind of share our, our differing yet somewhat similar perspectives um, on horror based on our backgrounds and based on what we've seen and experienced. Um, because like, um, whatever I think about um Haunted Inferno, especially, is I recall uh, whenever I first read it, is I was struck by like uh, I was struck by like how non-religious he was able to really write it because um, and I read it the form or like the version of um, the poem that I read um, and that I own. It's the translation. Um, by John Ciardi, who is, um, I think, an English academic. Um, And, like, he translates the poem, and then um, on, like, the back end of the book, he has, like, a bunch of footnotes that kind of gives context to, like, who the characters or people depicted are and what this symbolism often means and things like that. Um, um, It's really, really great. It's an excellent... Uh, way to read it. Um, I really um, encourage anybody interested in it to pick up that copy. But um, like you read it, and and with the extra context that that kind of provides, 
um, I was always struck by like, hey, like Dante's Inferno is like a very, um, a very politically charged work. Like, um, um, he writes it, and like he writes it to where like in a lot of the scenes and a lot of the circles of hell, um, a lot of times the people who are undergoing like the worst kind of torments and experiences there, a lot of times they're like various like priests and popes and noblemen in Italy at the time. And so like he caught like a bunch of flack back in the day. I think he was like um, exiled from a bunch of different um, places in Italy and things like that. But um, and so um, the work itself is very politically charged. And the way I read it is I very much think about it as far as like what is he really trying to say not just about kind of the theological significance of what he's writing about uh, but also like how what he's writing about how it affects others and how it like how our understanding of sin kind of affects ourselves and how like we perceive it and then how we experience it um and so when i was watching this like and um again another reason why i make all of the parallels between as above so below and silent hill is that like to me my experience with these stories is not so much like hey these are things that they did and their acts are what need to be atoned for um it's very much a lot more introspective than that where it's not so much like these are the acts that you need to atone for. It's like, these are how you perceive those actions to be. And like your perception of your guilt and culpability in those is what you really need to come to terms with and acknowledge um, and try um, to struggle against. Because, like, we see it at the end when they're, like, trying to get out of hell, and she, and I don't think Scarlet ever uses the word atone. I think she, what she says is these are things that, like, we haven't acknowledged or owned up to or something like that. So it's not really even the things they did. It's really, um, it's really way more about the way that they allowed themselves to feel about those things, right? So when George sees his brother in hell and he says, well, you know, my quote unquote sin is that I told him I'd get help and I left and I got lost and he died because of me. Um, I took that not to mean like, hey, you like literally screwed up and you offended God and so you deserve to be in hell. I took that as him saying, like, um, I've convinced myself that I deserve to be in hell because the way I processed that was that I betrayed him and I let him down. Um, and I've never healed from that or come to terms with that. Um, so that's kind of the way I interpreted it. Now, I don't think that, like, perfectly smooths over everything in the film. I think there are some issues uh, that persist still um i think trying to do like a 
literal comparison between, oh, this part of hell they're going through is like a perfect adaptation of, of what happens in Inferno. I think that kind of falls apart very fast um, if you try to do like um, exact comparisons of it, um, except where, where like it's obvious. Um, so like, so I do think there are problems there. And like, obviously, like I don't endorse that in any way. I don't think that like you prove anything to yourself by like eating yourself up about things that were out of your control. Um, I think that's a very unhealthy kind of perspective to take, um, even though that very much is a reality for um, a lot of people who who experience very bad, very traumatic things. Um, I mean, they should heal from that. But that's kind of the perspective I took from that. Um, and I am going to use this as an excuse to talk about Island Hill because I love those games. Um, and like um, an example of that um, to also kind of draw that parallel is that, um, Josh, I don't know how long it's been since you played or thought about Island Hill 2. Um, it's funny because I'm sitting here going, like, it, the, that's when you bring up because I'm like, Silent Hill 2 wrecks your whole argument there, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because the ending, because, like, he's a bad person. Like, James is a, not a good guy, right? I mean, like... Right, no. So, like, so so what I'm saying, so, like, the, so like to your point... Okay, so, I, I agree. I agree with you. That's what the movie's trying to do. I just think that's a really dangerous ideology. Because sure. cause, cause it, cause it, it comes into this... So, so comparing James to, like, George, okay? So, you've got a guy who... I've heard a lot of interpretation of Silent Hill too. In my opinion, you have a guy who murders his wife, and then you have George who is a kid, and something happens out of his control. And both of these guys are going through hell. Like that to me, if 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 I told you about a religion that said those two people would have to atone the exact same way, and I understand they might not use the word the atone, but I'm going to continue to use it because that's what's happening. If I said that those two people had to atone the exact same way, you'd be like. That is a really bad religion, Josh. You don't need to be dealing with that religion. I mean, am I not correct? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. Now, with um, the parallel uh, that I was going to make, though, is that um, in Silent Hill 2, you encounter a lot of other characters who are going through like their own versions and perceptions um, of Silent Hill. That's like a trademark throughout the series. And the character that comes to mind... Um, to me for that game when we're kind of drawing these parallels um, is Angela because Angela in Silent Hill 2 in my personal opinion does a thing wrong right so Angela uh, for anybody who hasn't played Silent Hill or or played it a very long time ago or anybody who just thinks we're kind of insane right now so so Angela in Silent Hill 2 is a character um, who's just a very, very sad uh, story. Um, I'm very scared for how the remake team is going to handle her story uh, specifically, because that studio doesn't have a very good track record with this. But um, Angela is a character who, like, just suffers just like a lifetime of abuse. Like, um, it comes up throughout the episode that she was abused 
in several ways by like basically every man in her life um stretching from like her father to like her boyfriends that she has uh, when she grows up and things like that and then as you go through the story and you learn more about her you learn that like her quote-unquote sin that she's there um that she believes is that she needs to atone for she needs to own up to is that um eventually she killed one of the men who was abusing her um now to me um that is also a person who does not deserve to be going through that at all right um but on that kind of line of what they're trying to depict which like again i'm not saying is like a 100 like great perfect way to tell the story or to account for anything that happens but i think that again it lines up with the message that i think they're trying to get across is that even if you haven't done anything wrong you can still be very much affected by and beat yourself up by your perception of what you did right um and so like and honestly George gets out of it way better than Angela does <laughs> because spoilers for Silent Hill 2, which is like a 20 year old game. Things don't go very well for Angela by the end of that game. So, so um, yeah. if anything, this is a way more positive depiction of that kind of story than what we get um, in Silent Hill. Well, I, 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 there, the other thing to me, <laughs> I guess we're going to have to do maybe Harfest next year. We'll just replay all the Silent Hills and just talk about them. But another thing that with, sounds amazing. That does sound amazing. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I go back and play Silent Hill one again. But um, the interesting thing about all the Silent Hills and the, where, where I think I don't disagree with you about Angela, but I also think Angela's a reflection once again of James because the whole point of that game is abuse against women, you mm -hmm. know. And like, and so I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying Angel doesn't exist or whatever. Okay. Uh, to get that meta or whatever, but like, it's still very much James's story and it's seen through the lens of James because James has to be the one, you know, to deal with that, you know, and that's once again, part of his atonement because his, his thing is I was abusive. I'm, I'm a, you know, that's, that's, that's what that game's about. Um, I don't really know if I see that. See, uh, yeah, I, I understand the correlation you're making, and you're you're not incorrect. I just don't know if I see that in, in As Above, So Below. What I see in As Above, So Below is this. And it, it, I'm, I'm being a little cynical here, but it's like, if As Above, So Below really wanted to make sense, they would have done this a little more like a Saw film and had, like, you know, characters that had actual issues, Okay. Sure. Um, they have to deal with like actual like really bad parts of their past you know and the problem is is that when you treat this movie like a saw film all of a sudden you can't root for george and scarlet to get out because in the saw films your entire thing is i want to see these people ripped apart they're horrible you know and so like you can't do that here because you want to see them get out of hell. And so the balancing act is hard to pull off there. Yeah. And I think they were just like, well, we'll deal with, we'll make it a, a, tra a trauma thing as opposed to an actual sin thing. And would, you know, to your point is fine. That works great as an allegory. It's a horrible, horrible way to, it, it, it's a horrible, horrible way to have a belief system. 
Um, you know, and and once again, I'm not saying they're pushing a belief system, but they're definitely playing with it. And to me, I just it, it's one of those things where like I've seen where that goes, you know, because I mean that's and, and it's very much in 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 congruent with Dante. And I've seen where that goes, and I've seen how that can affect uh, spirituality within the world, and it just bothers me. Um, but I, I understand why they did it. I get it, you know. But it's just, it, it just, it just, it just irks me a little bit, um, you know. But at the same time, I don't know, you know, if if, if like Scarlet, if they're like, if you know, if Zed, if Zed goes, if Zed goes, I have a a, a son I've never seen. And then they pan over Scarlet's car. It's like, I've killed 14 people. You know, like, I don't know if that movie works either. You know, <laughs> so like, you know, so I, I you know, I, I realize what I'm griping about is something that's not an easy fix. Right. Um, but it's, it's, to me, it's just, it's one of those things where when you've, when you've lived in the, God, I don't want to use the term, but the, when you've lived in the spiritual realm, when you've lived around spiritual people and, and within the religious realm and within mm-hmm. the Christian realm, whatever you whatever term you want to use there you see this kind of stuff a lot and you know one of the you know one of the one of the biggest things you have to do is is to get and see that, that's the thing okay all right i'll tell you what i'll tell you what would have changed all this for me okay is if instead if instead of like cause she doesn't say a tone you're right but i think she says acknowledge but if she said we need to learn to let this go and forgive ourselves for this I think it changes the entire movie, in my opinion, right. because I'll, if, if, if you're if you're going to make a video game comparison, then I have to make a Bible comparison. And the biblical comparison here is Peter, you know, Peter. So like so once again, in Dante's Inferno, treachery or betrayal is the ninth level of hell, mm-hmm. which I've always thought was weird because you're because the in Catholic uh, in Catholic mythology, the first pope is Peter whose defining act is an act of betrayal, which is saying, I don't know Jesus three times for, before the rooster crows. And there's an entire scene within the gospel of John where Jesus works him through that. Okay. And accepts him back into the fold because it's not really about Jesus forgiving him. It's about him learning to forgive himself, so to speak. There's so like there's an entire there's an entire different point to this, in my opinion, that that they're kind of missing out on. But at the same time, once again, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if that I don't I don't know if that would hurt or help the movie. It would probably help my understanding of the movie, but I don't know if it makes the movie any better or worse, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Al. I'm just no, 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 it does make sense. Yeah, um, I agree. I think if they. If there had been a more an emphasis on f- forgiveness as like a method of healing, um, I do think that would have given like a whole other um, interesting layer to the story. I think it would have been a lot more satisfactory that way for sure. Um, you know, I'm kind of with you. I kind of don't think it's really interesting because it's that they really go about. Um, it's like they go about using very religious imagery to tell like a very secular story about sin. Um, I think at its core, that's what this is 
That's what the story is trying to do. Yeah, because like Dante. Yeah, it's using yeah exactly. It's using all this imagery, all of this imagery about hell and then like this Judeo Christian kind of mythology or pseudo at least. Um, my apologies to anybody out there who's like I'm a huge um, Hontean Catholic. Um, I don't know if any of those exist anymore, <laughs> but, but I don't know. <laughs> there probably is, but um, but like. And they use that to tell a to tell a story about healing that is very much like at the end of it is very much stripped of any kind of like religious idea about healing or restoration <laughs> because it basically comes down to well yeah you need to acknowledge it yourself and take agency over it um, and that's how you get out of hell like it's a very anti-religious idea fueled by very religious imagery and um, history and things like that. So uh, I do agree if there had been more of a focus on on forgiving yourself and healing through that, it, it probably would have felt a lot more satisfactory. And I think the reason why we why we did not get that is because that would have run very counter to what they were trying to do with the story at the end of the day. But um, um, no, I agree. Um, I think those are excellent points. Um, and um, I do know that um, the main reason uh, that Dante made um, Betrayal the um, the worst uh, last circle of hell um, is because of, like, things that had happened to him in his life. It was very much like a self-insert um, kind of thing to do it that way. But, um, but yeah. Um, yeah, so as um, just before we get to kind of the last part of this episode before we kind of wind down there. Um, I do want to say, hey, everybody, if you're still hanging out with us, uh, that means you must enjoy the sounds of our voice or the thoughts of our heads. Um, if you are, uh, we do have a bunch of other shows and projects we do um, on, on our podcast channel. Um, Josh and our editor-in-chief, Jacob, are doing um, a series called Brothers with Issues. They're um, covering a whole bunch of, of different comics and what's going on in those. Um, it's quickly become a favorite of mine. Um, it's excellent. It's great. Um, and then we've also started um, a relatively new series called The Fandom Lounge, where uh, we just kind of um, to take a more relaxed approach, um, a more um, un unstructured approach to just kind of talking about anything we've been up to, anything that's been on our minds. Um, it's got very chill vibes. So, um, if you're interested in that, then be sure um, to check us out. And if you ever have anything you want us to cover, um, then, then you can hit us up on Instagram, um, at, uh, the Phantom Correspondence, or you can even, um, head over to Patreon, uh, throw us a dollar if you want to, and we will be sure that your request goes to the very top of our priority list for sure. So, um, if you're interested, then be sure to check those out. All right. Well, now, um, as we wind down, uh, there is one very special thing I want um, to talk about. Something that, honestly, I'm kind of surprised we don't talk about more since this is going on our third year of talking about horror films. But I did want to ask you, Josh, especially since this was your first time watching As Above, So Below, was there any particular scene that kind of stands out to you um, any scene that like really had you like jumping or th thinking about it long afterwards uh, uh, basically was there 
Um, any kind of standout um, scary parts of, of that kind of stuck out to you as you were watching this uh, for the first time? Yeah, the um, the I don't know why it kept me jumping every time, but there's the there's a scene where George gets bit by the stone man or whatever. Mm. And he's bit in the neck or whatever, and the, the phosphor stone doesn't work because um, the story doesn't want it to work. I, 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 I still have to figure that part out, and maybe you can, <laughs> I don't know, you can remember. But anyway, he's got to go back and figure out how to get the phosphor stone to work. And that's something to do with the vitriol thing. Um, it's really, that's really not important. It's an excuse for her to run through back through the levels of hell. Which normally I'd be upset with, except they do it just really cool because they basically have her running with a GoPro around her neck. And so, like, you have this interesting first-person shooter kind of thing going on. <laughs> and I jumped every single... Because she's got to run through the stone man. I, I, I jumped... I think she does it three times. I jumped every time she punched one of those stone men in the face. Because <laughs> it's always just right there. And you're right. It's, it's, not a, it's not really a scary thing, but it's like because of how it's filmed that you don't see those things because it's pitch black. So you don't see those things till you're right up on them. It's like, you know, she just, she just rubbed up and just bam, punching it. And like, it, it's the, you know, the thud is perfect and everything. Um, I jumped every single time. Um, <laughs> the, the creepiest part of the movie is the hooded figure, which is, it's gotta be Satan. Um, and his half baby, half deformed face. Uh, when he turns to look, the, you only see him one time and he's walking, he's basically walking through that crack. Um, and like, he's not pursuing them really. I mean, he's not, there's other road figures there, but he's not pursuing them, but he's basically turns to look. Um, and you see like his, his half baby, you know, half deformed face. And then he turns back. Um, that was the creepiest part. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the passion of the Christ as a movie. But I've often said that that had one of the best uh, versions of Satan that's ever been in film. And there's that part where, like, she's walking through the crowd. Um, uh, the Satan there is walking through the crowd. And Satan has a, is holding this deformed baby. And it's like, with Satan, what you really want out of that character um, and anything, anything you put that character in, what you want is perversion of innocence because that's what that character represents. Mm -hmm. And so, and so they did that, they did that really well in this. It, it was, it was really, it was, it was fantastic. And, uh, you know, and like I said, it's just a real quick, like five to seven second scene, but it's one that sticks with you. Um, you know, the, the, really the whole, um, climax of the film is really solid because there's just, uh, you know, it's it at that point. What they've done is they flipped everything on its head because you've gone from, like I said before, you've gone from a a really, you know, corridors, uh, cramped, compact movie to now they've opened things up. So now you don't know where anything's coming from. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it, it was really it's a really interesting technique they pull off there. Um, and yeah, that, that moment, every, every time she smacked one of those guys, dude, I just jumped. I don't know why I, you know, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't jump in a lot of movies, um, uh, but that one, you know, um, that one made me jump. And for me, but, uh, we've already talked about it. to me, the, the best scene is just 
you know, uh, it, 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 it's almost like a scene out of The Shining because it's one of those where you're like, I want to know more of what is going on in there. But like when they when they peek in on the on the women that are singing, you know, and you've got some of them are close, some of them are naked. You know, you're just kind of like, what what is this thing? And then you know, Pap just like, oh, there's some weird people in there. Let's move on. You know, and you're just like, <laughs> okay, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey man, I wish I could be half as calm with uh, my day to day stresses as Pap is with yeah, <laughs> just finding a cult. Of women singing in the catacombs, um, but yeah, yeah, those are good ones. I do love that on um, the monsters um, that are there in that area. Um, apparently, they attended the the chasing school of Ghostface from Scream because, like, mm-hmm. one hit to them, they're just like they're just flattened. They're just yeah. <laughs> they're they're just out. <laughs> It's almost as if um, they're just there to like uh, to challenge you, and they're just like, "Are you gonna hit me? Or are you gonna let me get you?" Oh, oh, okay, you're gonna fight. Okay, okay, fine. That's all you get. <laughs> like, um, but um, no, no, those are great choices. I love. It's one of the really small things, and it happens really quick. Um, even though it does happen a couple times, I love the flashes where um i mean it occurs like uh, kind of as like the climax is happening as you said where the camera will like flash down a couple times and you see just like the mouths and like the rows of teeth in like the rock ground mm-hmm. of the catacombs and those like quick flashes they're so sudden and they're so jarring when you s- see it and like you are just so very not prepared to see that in the movie as all of this is happening. Um, that's just really well done. I love like subtle kind of like um, jarring things in the environment uh, that just kind of like happen real quick and just kind of hit you ill at ease for, for like the rest of the sequence. Um, I love when horror films are able to do that. It's great. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, as we would kind of wind down, um, this episode, uh, I've already said, I love, um, as above, so below, I think it's, um, it uses the found footage approach on the cinematography. Um, I think it does a lot of really cool, innovative things with that. It does a lot of really interesting kind of metaphorical and allegorical stuff there. Um, and it just, it just feels good to watch. This is one that like, again, I've watched, uh, probably four or five times now. And it's just a really good viewing experience. It builds the world and the situation up just enough so that like you understand all of the characters and you understand like kind of what to expect from there kind of generally but is still able to pull off a lot of surprises and a lot of really cool kind of new ways to do things. Um, I just really, really enjoy this film. But um, as we close, um, I will ask you just one more question, kind of tapping into your expertise. Um, This is a little bit of a personal one here. So um, 
uh, please feel free to kind of answer it kind of as much as you feel comfortable with. But um, we've talked about before uh, kind of the use of of demons and um, and ghosts and things like that in horror and how those are used and how we kind of um, utilize a lot of what um, is is talked about in religion as a source of fear and as a source of horror in horror films. Um, what is your take, um, essentially, on taking something that for a religious and spiritual people is very significant, um, something like hell, the existence of hell, the experience of hell, and what that means for us as spiritual beings. What's your take on it when things like horror films or or video games or books or whatever it might be? Um, take something that sh should be, one would think, uh, treated very seriously and, and soberly and is used to tell stories, specifically stories that kind of strip the religiosity of it, um, as we've kind of talked about today. Um, um, what's your opinion of that? Is that is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is it a potentially dangerous thing? Uh, with your background as a pastor, I'm really interested to kind of see what you think about using that side of spirituality to, to tell these stories. Yeah, so the quote-unquote secularization of hell, I think is what you're asking me about. Sure. Um, I, I don't have... Um, I don't have a whole lot of issue. I don't take a whole lot of umbrage with secular versions of hell um, because the concept of hell across all religions or the concept of a judgment place uh, across all religions, the basic gist of it is, is a, is something that I think humankind needs, which is basically this idea of, um, you know, bad, bad, bad things lead to consequences. Okay. Sure. Now, what's interesting is, from a Christian standpoint, um, you know, the the irony here is that people use all this talk, all this, uh, you know, invent a lot of stuff about hell, um, and when, like, you know, we we discuss hell biblically, you have maybe maybe four references to hell in the Bible, you know, and less if you take, if you take revelation out of the equation, maybe two. So like, so you have this like broad range of things you can do with this concept. And so to an extent, to an extent, you know, there's a lot of fun you can have with that. Okay. And I think there's a, you know, I think, there's a real reaction among religious people now against hell. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it, Rob Bell is the most known example of like, you know, a, a universal salvation concept, but like, but it was happening before that. There's a real reaction against this idea of like, you know, there's a place of judgment. 
uh, there's a place where you, you know, where if you don't atone for your sins, you're going to go for it. There's real reaction against it across all religions, not just Christianity, but within Islam, uh, within some sects of Hinduism and Buddhism as well, where, you know, people are really reacting heavily against judgment. To me, there's something to be said about, uh, I'm, I'm not a fire and brimstone guy, Al, you know that very well. But I always go back to Flannery O'Connor's A Good Man is Hard to Find, where at the end of that, you know, uh, you know, he kills the he kills the woman at the end of it. The stranger kills the woman at the end of it and says she would have been a good woman if she had had a gun pointed at her entire life. And there's a there's something to be said about, you know, about society you know, having a, a an, an instance of, of looking, of pointing things back at you and saying, you know, you know, if you are not contributing, you know, in a way that is conducive to society, um, then there is going to be a reckoning for that. And what a lot of these, what a lot of these concepts of hell uh, that we see in popular culture, that's what they're doing. Um, I'm not saying this movie does it that well. Silent Hill absolutely is doing that. Um you know, and even going back to like, I think of like, you know, hell as proposed in like the those weird 1920s cartoons with like Betty Boop and stuff where like, you know, it's, you know, there's a, there's a sin that happens. You end up going, you meet this like weird cartoon version of the devil. It's really creepy and stuff, but like, that's that concept. And that concept's prevalent across, you know, all of humanity. Where I take issue though is you know from a from a christian standpoint if hell was such a supposed to be such an important part of our religion and such an important part of our spiritual life i just think it'd be mentioned a lot more you know i think i think that would be something that would be in the bible a lot more because you don't you literally you just don't have it in the bible you have this like you know you have a couple of Weird, you know, like David talking about going into Sheol, which is literally the center of the earth, uh, or like the, um, not the center of the earth, but like going in, going down to the depths of the earth uh, is what Sheol is in uh, in Jewish literature. And then you have this story where this rich guy, <laughs> you know, not to get not to get political, but literally when Jesus talks about hell, it's a story of this rich guy who. Uh, was had all types of riches in his life, and he kept walking, literally walking over this poor guy that was at his gates. And when they both died, the poor guy went to heaven, and the rich guy went to hell. Like that's Jesus' story of hell. And so you, so there's there's just not a lot, you know, for us to focus on. Um, and in my opinion, as a you're asking my personal opinion here, is I've spent a lot of time among Christians who spend a lot of time on hell. <laughs> And there's just, to me, it's not where Christianity and really, in my opinion, healthy religion needs to go to. Because when you spend so much time looking at your own judgment and trying to avoid your own judgment, you're not really spending a whole lot of time trying to make the world a better place, which is what most religions, I would assume most religions that we consider healthy religions, are attempting to do. Mm-hmm. Um so I, what's good? I don't know if that if that's your answer, but your but you know if that's the answer you wanted, or if that's where you wanted me to go with that. But but my my take on you know on hell you know is it might be 
just a little bit, you know, as, as a, as a force within like society, it's probably a good thing, you know, to consider that there might be a hell out there, but as a force and in a religion from a religious standpoint, um, you know, a little, little less time on judgment, particularly judgment of others, and maybe a little more time on, you know, building people up and making the world a better place. That was your Josh sermon for, for horror fest. But I, I, I do want to point out, I do want to point out, uh, Al asked me to do that. I did. I did. And I enjoyed it. That was good. <laughs> that was good stuff. You know, every time we c- cover a horror film that has to do with like hell or the devil, um, um, you know, you kind of expect to get um, a Josh Sherman at some point in it. I feel like it's only, it's only fair. Yeah. But, fair. Uh, but um, no, no, no. I like that answer a lot. Um, I've always been fascinated. I won't go very far into it, but I've always been fascinated um, looking at the history of the church, um, specifically during like the Middle Ages and into like um, the uh, very beginning of the modern age. And you look at the history of the church and um, you kind of look at the history of kind of the development of of hell and the devil um and kind of how they how those things kind of took on um the appearances and the um, identities um, that we now kind of associate with them and like you know you see a lot of it uh just kind of ties back to this idea that um you know whenever whenever attendance got low um at church and whenever um, the coffers and the tithes uh, were kind of running low at the church, um, there was usually some kind of corresponding effort to suddenly remind everybody about hell. Um, and there was suddenly a renewed effort um, to really emphasize on on the fact that um, the devil exists and like he's he's going to do very bad things um, to you. So you need God and the church's uh, protection from that. Um, one of the most interesting individuals um, in history, um, in my opinion, especially associated with kind of the history and development of the church and modern takes on theology, um, is um, this guy, this uh, this artist by um, the name of Hieronymus Bosch, and um, mm-hmm. and Hieronymus Bosch's whole thing was he was really good at doing paintings and depictions of like just horrific stuff um and um, throughout his life and career there were a lot of times where leaders of the church would go up to hieronymus bosch and just be like hey um people aren't scared of the devil anymore like i need you to come through and and do some pretty horrific um, depictions of hell because we need people to be scared again um and so that's always just been a really interesting aspect of that history to me and how I've kind of come to terms with um, having come from a background that um, was very much into fire and brimstone and um, and things like that. Um, that's kind of how I've navigated through that is that understanding that like, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of it is like anything else where um, it is, often used as a method of fear and whenever um 
you kind of face that fear and kind of understand it and kind of take agency over it, which um, one of the best ways to take agency over something is to is to use it to tell stories that you can kind of be invested in. Um, then that's always um, a really good way um, to kind of conquer it uh, like that. But um, yeah, it's always an interesting topic. Um, shout out to Dante. Um, he was a real one. I'm not shouting Dante out. <laughs> you can shout out to Dante all you want. I'm not doing it. Shout out to Dante. He was a realist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about all that. But yeah. well, what, what is interesting, to your point, and Bosch is the same way. I mean, I, I don't disagree with what you say about Bosch as far as, like, you know, he's definitely employed by the church to do that. But the reason Bosch and Dante and, to an extent, John Milton, the reason these things were so popular and powerful is because there was such a mystery surrounding hell. You know, what is that, you know? And there's something to be said for, and this is dangerous in my opinion too, you know, you brought, you know, Dante's being political. Yeah, Dante's having a lot of fun envisioning people in hell. He's having a whole ball with it. Mm -hmm. And there's something like, there's something like really like base and crass about that, Um, you know, uh, which is dangerous as well. So, you know, just kind of want to throw that out there as well. Uh, You know, that, that that's another aspect of hell and society is that it allows us to, you know, you know, talk about how, you know, and I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anybody, you know, talk about how some people are going to burst the gates of hell wide open, you know, and, uh, there's, you know, that's, that, that, that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous idea to have, you know, um, but that, but that's why, I mean, I think that that's why Bosch and Dante were so popular, you know, that, you know, they, they almost, uh, I don't want to use this term because but they almost fetishized it in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, so yeah, you can, you can shout Dante out all you want, but, uh, you know, I, I probably, I, I will probably not join you in that one. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, all right, y'all. Well, um, everybody, this was as above, so below, um, Josh, any last words or last thoughts on this? On this entry in the horror fest, yeah, definitely a movie, a movie worth seeing. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little too, too. Uh, I'm just a little too weird to like it as much as Al does. Al's a little more normal where this one's concerned. Uh, so uh, you know, I just there's some things I can't separate, but definitely worth seeing. Definitely a solid movie, and particularly if you like uh, found footage films. Like I said, I, I, I would only put Cloverfield on the same level. You know, and uh, this one, this one does some really cool stuff with it. I do want to point something out real quick, real quick. Uh, Did you notice that (laughs) what's hilarious about this? And like, I guess because there's no other way to do it. But when he gives the the three people he gives the uh, the C camera to, which is the the camera on the head, those are the three people that survive. It's uh, uh, George, Scarlett, and and Zed. Uh, So like, literally, you know. 20 minutes in this movie, it's ruined for you. (laughs) 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 These are guys are going to survive because they have the cameras that are most effective at telling the story. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's a good point. That's a good point. (laughs) There you go. But, um, yeah, y'all, I'm the same. I really enjoy As Above, So Below. Um, I don't hear it talked about very often. Um, At the beginning there, Josh, you 
talking about how it has like a really low score, like a Rotten Tomatoes and had a Which critic. I don't get. Yeah, I don't I've seen way worse horror movies. Oh, oh yeah, there's some like I I love horror films very much, but there are like way bigger stinkers in this one. So yeah, but um yeah, don't let that scare you away from it. Um, it's really enjoyable. It does some really cool things. Um, so for sure, that one is one um, I often suggest to people, um, especially when people ask me like, "Hey, what's a horror movie that like actually like scares you and stuff?" Um, as above, O Below is one that I recommend, and A Descent is one that um, I recommend uh, for very similar kind of reasons because again. It uses space and claustrophobia and just general kind of physical discomfort yeah. uh, very, very well um, as mechanisms of fear. So, um, so yeah, um, just definitely want to try out. But, um, y'all, that's going to do it for this installment of Horror Fest 2022. Um, hope y'all are enjoying it. Uh, we definitely are having a good time. Uh, we uh, have a couple more episodes coming up. A couple more traditional installments. We got um, the uh, the Nathan Nathan Lewis Memorial one, right? We do. We have the Nathan Lewis. He's he's, he's very much alive. I'm just in yeah. in honor of his life and death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, rest in peace to Nathan Lewis. Um, oh yeah, yeah, we have um, his t- t- dedicated episode uh, that's coming up. Uh, that one will, I'm sure, to be an interesting one. And then uh, we're closing out with a classic this year, uh, for sure. Uh, again, it's one of my favorite <laughs> horror films of all time uh, that we're closing out with. And then uh, we might, if schedules can line up here, we all do have um, jobs that we do outside of fandom correspondence. Um, so if schedules can line up, we may be having um, a special little episode to kind of bridge the gap. Um, between events that we do every year um so i'll leave it kind of vague and mysterious there and we'll see if we can uh, follow through on that but um y'all either way thank you very much for hanging out with us um and listening to our various thoughts and and um threads we follow uh throughout these podcasts um michael scott said it best where it's just kind of like you know sometimes i start a sentence and I just keep talking, and I don't even know where it's going yeah. until I get there. Um, that happens to me a lot on these shows, but, you know, I appreciate y'all hanging out with us. And just a reminder, fandom is for everyone. So uh, remember that. Enjoy what you enjoy and share it with others. Um, and be kind to each other, y'all. Um, because if you don't, um, then you'll end up in hell, uh, just like these guys did. So, so. I, don't, I don't endorse that. Uh, that is not endorsed by this person of the phantoms <laughs> so you know phantom is for everyone um unless unless you're going to hell so there you go everybody um <laughs> have, have, a good, have a good night and enjoy the spooky season <laughs>